What is up, y'all? My name is Kristen. My name is Sarah. And welcome to the Red Rum and Red Wine Podcast. Take, take the wheel, Sarah. Okay. <laughs> it's all she's all yours. Yay. Okay. Um I'm excited for this one just because it involves a topic kind of that I'm excited about. My story does involve a murder, so obviously that's not exciting. That's not what I'm talking about. But um if any of y'all like thriller horror creepy movies then you might kind of get a gist of what I'm talking about but I'm not gonna give it away at first because I want Kristen to try and guess um the case that I'm talking about today supposedly inspired some of a storyline for a certain movie and a new movie for this franchise is coming out literally in three days And so I thought it was just the perfect time to talk about this. And so, Kristen, when you think you've figured it out or if you have any guesses, let me know and I'll tell you. Damn, I'm like, I don't know what movie is coming out in three days. I know. Like, if you knew, then you would obviously know what I'm talking about. But I I don't know. We'll see. We'll see if you get it. You should. So for this, we are in Coldwater, Michigan, and Coldwater is southern Michigan, not too far away from the Indiana border. The population is around 10,000. It's a small community, a farming community where a lot of people know everyone. Everyone feels as if it's a pretty safe place to live. But some of us find that some of the places where we feel the safest or should feel the safest sometimes aren't. 46-year-old Dennis DePew, who was a property assessor or like an appraiser for the state for properties, married to 48-year-old Marilyn DePew, a high school guidance counselor at the local high school. They had three children together, two of their oldest, they were girls in high school, and the third was a son who was a little younger, not too much younger. They were like an all-American family, and they really seemed, keyword, normal and typical from the outside. Mm-hmm. Marilyn and Dennis had been married for about 17 years, However, there was some tension in the marriage. Dennis and Marilyn had different personalities, pretty much on different ends of the spectrum, and this made them seem to butt heads a lot. Mm -hmm. Marilyn was on the quiet side, and Dennis was more demanding and controlling. Dennis apparently didn't like the fact that Marilyn was active within the community. I guess he just expected her to work and come home. Um, Who knows? But he wasn't happy that she was, I guess, outgoing and involved in the community. Having a life outside of him. Right. 
And I'm thinking, you know, possibly she was just more quiet with him and not with mm. other people. Mm-hmm. But mm. Dennis apparently became really withdrawn <laughs> with this tension and accused Marilyn of trying to turn their own children against him. Dennis's behavior and treatment of Marilyn caused her basically to have major resentment towards him. Mm-hmm. She often confided in friends that she was unhappy and was seriously considering divorcing him. In April of 1989, a little over 17 years of marriage, Marilyn decides that she has had enough and she files for a divorce. Yep. This seems to catch Dennis by complete surprise, and he did not take this news well. He was not on board with a divorce. Dennis's family, a.k.a. his now, like, ex-wife or estranged wife, they'll call her. I'm like, that just sounds not good. But basically her and their children, they were afraid of Dennis, simply put, Marilyn, after she or when she filed for divorce, um, from what I gathered, it seemed like Dennis moved out. They separated until it was finalized. And she simply did not want Dennis at their house or around their kids. And so I think that, you know, he really felt like they were against him, but they were just afraid of him. So, yeah. About a year after the initial divorce filing, April 15th, 1990, which was Easter Sunday, Dennis DePew comes to Marilyn's home to pick up their three children for a scheduled court-ordered visit. But the kids didn't want to go with their father that day. I don't know why they just didn't want to go with him. In return, Dennis would erupt in anger and start an argument with Marilyn or an argument would break out with him and Marilyn. Dennis felt as if Marilyn was turning their kids against him and them not wanting to spend time with him that day really just fed into that idea of his. Mm -hmm. The argument would escalate. (laughs) The argument would escalate from yelling to pushing and shoving. And the next thing you know, Marilyn is shoved down the basement stairs that they were arguing right next to. Oh, my God. Marilyn was alive, but badly injured. So Dennis, I don't know what his reaction was, you know. I I watched a show about this, uh, an episode of Investigation Discovery's Man with a Van, And they did reenactments, you know, and I don't take anything from the reenactments, what they do or what they say as actual fact. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do know that Dennis does go down and carry Marilyn back up the stairs. And mind you, while they're arguing, while Marilyn gets shoved down the stairs, the kids are all still, like, present in the house. I don't know how much of the argument they saw versus what they heard. But, you know, they had to at least hear. Yeah, Um, and it's completely validating every reason that they probably didn't want to go with him in the first place. Yeah, like, that doesn't help the situation to escalate it like that. Like, you just got to learn 
calm down go away and like try again another go day away. yeah yeah <laughs> come again another day yeah Bye. that was a good one though. oh calm down go away try again another day mm-hmm. i'm gonna put that one in my back pocket a lot of people need to learn that lesson yeah so dennis brings marilyn up the stairs and he tells the children you know she fell down the stairs um everything will be fine i'm gonna take her to the hospital and um and then i'll i'll be back oh my god no i don't trust that he tells them that everything will be fine and i'll be back and so the three children watch as their father puts the like barely conscious but conscious marilyn into his vehicle as he leaves their three kids at home and takes Marilyn to the hospital. Oh how old were the kids at this point? Or, like, how old was the oldest? Um, the oldest was, like, 16 or 17. I didn't get exact oh. ages because they are minors and a lot of their personal information, information yeah, has been sealed. withheld. Um, but I do know that the two oldest were the daughters who were in high school and the third was a son, son who was a little younger, maybe middle school. Um, I couldn't imagine. And, yeah. So Dennis leaves with Marilyn and leaves the kids. Meanwhile, on that same Easter day, Ray and Marie Thornton decided to go on a Sunday drive in their family car. I didn't get their ages, but um, they seemed to be, you know, younger than like like Dennis and Marilyn, like maybe in their 30s or so. Mm-hmm. It really doesn't matter, but it, it kind of does, just to give you guys a vis- visualization. Mm-hmm. Both Ray and Marie worked long hours, so they only had like really downtime together on the weekends. They had children, so throughout the week it was just a busy household. So on the weekends, it was like a weekly thing of theirs to go on a Sunday drive to get some peace and quiet, just the two of them. They lived in northern Indiana, and they would often cross the border into southern Michigan. Apparently, that part of the country is is really beautiful. It's kind Mm -hmm. of rural, and it's just a nice place to go driving. They like to take the back roads specifically to get better scenery of farms and fields and, you know, the cows and all that stuff. Ray and Marie were enjoying their Sunday drive. And Ray described he was featured in the episode I watched, so he gave a lot of his own personal account. So he described how they were driving slow like they normally would they would be going 20 to 30 miles per hour Mm -hmm. on these back roads which is probably kind of normal but a lot of people who normally drive back roads regularly they'll speed because there's like usually not a lot of other people out there or police yeah so they usually drive pretty slow and they're going along their merry way when suddenly Ray, because Ray's driving, he notices a brown van coming up behind them really quickly. Ray said they were approaching a hill. Jeepers creepers. Yes! (laughs) (laughs) Yay! What the fuck? That scene terrified (laughs) me as a child. I think, like, that's one of the, like... 
when that when we engine this, revving they really just give it that ugh. when we watched the second or third one my mom's friends had her asshole sons over and they like opened the window and they're like he can smell you <laughs> i was so terrified i was like you close that goddamn window <laughs> Yay. I I was hoping that this part would... Yeah. I was like, okay, it's not Scream. It's not... I don't know. I was racking. Yep. Yeah. If this part wouldn't, then some of the next parts would. But Mm -hmm. yes, Jeepers Creepers. Yay. The new one Mm, comes out on the 19th. Supposedly. It's been pushed back a few times, but... Yeah. I'm uh, excited I, for the movie, but I didn't actually know that this was inspired by something. So that well, yeah, me. it's said to be, but I'll get kind of more into that at the end. Ooh, um, okay. Yeah, you will see mm. the similarities, though, for mm-hmm. sure. Ray and Marie were approaching a hill, so Ray sped up a little bit because he knew that most people don't pass other people's when they're going up a hill because it's very dangerous. Mm-hmm. And he had claimed that in the past, because they always kind of drive slow, they've noticed that cars can get impatient and will often pass them or get upset, you know. So going up the hill, he speeds up a little bit to try and you know, get some distance between the cars, just be a little mindful. But this van continued to come up behind them, as Ray described, like a rocket. Mm. Without slowing down or hesitating, the van would pass Ray and Marie on the hill and disappear over the hill. Ray and Marie would just be like, okay, like they're in a rush, kind of laugh yeah. it off, whatever, and go on their way. Um, just shortly after that, I don't know how many miles, but just a few probably, Ray and Marie would approach an abandoned schoolhouse. And um, as they're, you know, like kind of approaching it, they notice this man behind the schoolhouse carrying what looks like a white sheet with red stains on it marie was a nurse (laughs) so she knew what bloody sheets looked like oh could you imagine (laughs) that was her first and automatic assumption about what this man was carrying was a bloody sheet are you crying (laughs) i ruined my eyeliner that's so scary (laughs) it's the smoke it really irritated my eye yeah as they begin to get closer to the schoolhouse they prepare to drive directly past it ray kind of slows down so that they can get a better look sorry why no you speed (laughs) up good sir they're just like "Hmm." and as they pass the schoolhouse like on the other side they see a brown van parked on the side of the schoolhouse no it was the same brown van that had just erratically passed them Hmm. so they realize this is the same guy and as they're driving by they notice the man notice them so the man sees them drive by seeing him so stupid oh my god i just oh my god 
Ray says to his wife, you know, like, are you sure it was blood? He could have been a maintenance man out there. It could have been red paint, you know. He just passed us. He knew we were, he would we would be coming this way, you know. If it was blood, why would he be doing that? They thought Ray, it was you're weird. You're a fucking idiot. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, Ray, but listen to your wife. Just she knows what she's talking about. They thought it was weird for sure, but they kind of like shrug it off and mind their own business. Like maybe they talk about it for a little bit, but yeah, they mind their own business for the most part. Good. <laughs> Aside from as, as they should, driving you know, by, you know, don't don't try and investigate. It's fine. So they continue driving to kind of head back into the direction of northern Indiana. Um, apparently, the road that they were on that drove past the schoolhouse would continue straight to the border so they were just headed that way Mm -hmm. ray said that they made it maybe a mile or two before the same brown van appeared in their rear view window once again the brown van approaches quickly from behind and starts to tailgate ray and marie this made them really nervous. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously. You just saw like, dump a body. <laughs> Ray said the oh man God. in the brown van was acting crazy. You know, they didn't know what his he was trying to do. So Ray sped up to try and create some distance, but the van would maintain its close proximity to their rear bumper. That's terrifying. Ray and Marie didn't know if this man was trying to run them off the road hit them pull them over and like pull a gun on them or beat them up they were freaked out they you know like what can you do besides speed up or or try to safely pull off the road i don't know what i would do eventually the brown van once again would veer around them and pass them and disappear down the road This time, Ray and Marie were paying extra close attention, especially to the van's license plate. There you go. Marie grabbed a pen and a piece of paper uh, from, like, the glove compartment, who knows, and wrote down the van's license plate number because by this point, they think something sketchy is for sure going on. Yeah. Um, I mean... Even if it wasn't a bloody sheet, this man is acting crazy on the road. Like, something is happening. They also felt a sense of relief that the van had just passed them again instead of something worse happening. Because I think maybe they were really fearful that something really bad was about to happen. And, oh my gosh. So, with a bit of relief, they continue driving kind of talking about what in the world just happened. And um, like I mentioned, the road they're on just goes straight south to the Indiana border, and they get to an intersection that's near the state line. And once they approach this intersection, what do they see? No. The same brown van is pulled over on the side of the road, The passenger side door is open, and the man who is driving the van is kneeling behind the van near the license plate. The man was changing his license plate. 
Ray said they saw a screwdriver in his hand as he was unscrewing the Michigan <sighs> plate off of the van. And he saw an Illinois plate on the ground next to the man. And he shared how at that time the Illinois plate was very distinct. It was white with a pale blue border. So even if you were kind of far away and you couldn't read the numbers or the state on it, you could see the pattern and like he knew it was Illinois. Yeah. I was literally in my mind like, wondering why the brown van if you weren't going to attack them why would you do that because then it just makes you more susceptible to them being like they're noticing you yeah that's a weird van might as well like yeah might as well whatever like i would have if i were doing something sketchy and someone passed by like okay don't go down the road and harass them like you go the other way and you jeffrey dahmer that shit oh my god (laughs) As Ray and Marie once again drive past the van, they notice that the passenger side door that was open had blood on it. Again, Marie was sure that it was blood, Mm -hmm. and this time Ray did not doubt his wife. He agreed that what they saw was blood, and this shit seemed real fucked up. That was not his words. That was One's a... One's a coincidence, two's a, one's a random chance, uh, two's a coincidence, and three, it's like no fucking way, that's a, Two's a coincidence, three's a, I don't know, we'll have to look up that quote. Yeah, you know what we're saying. So Ray agrees that his wife, with his wife, that that was blood, something crazy is happening. In fact... Ray even decides that he wants to drive back to the schoolhouse to inspect. Okay, Justin Long, so fucking stupid. He said that if it did turn out to be a bloody sheet, that they would call the police. So Ray and Marie turn their car around and go back to the schoolhouse. And I don't know if they had to, like, drive back back by the van or if they like turned onto another road back road that like led to the same direction i don't know but part of me is like what if they had to drive by the van again you know yeah and oh my gosh just call the police and tell them yeah don't, like tell them to, to go yourself. check it out yeah. well ray and marie are very brave they Wait, drive back to me. the schoolhouse. They park their car kind of right off the road at the entrance of the schoolhouse. And they walk over to the north side of the property, which is the back of the schoolhouse where they had seen the man earlier. There was a little dirt ditch back there in that area. And that is where they would find the sheet. It was covered with some brush and leaves and stuff, but it wasn't well enough hidden, I guess. Yeah. You know, it was still there. They found it. Ray said that not only did the sheet have blood on it, but bits of bone and tissue matter as well. Oh, my God. Again, Marie recognized the bits of bone and tissue from her nursing career Something that Ray said he wouldn't have been able to distinguish without her knowledge and without her being there. Mm. She knew exactly what that shit was. 
the couple really tried to give this man the benefit of the doubt of possibly being a maintenance worker. But after confirming and seeing the sheet for themselves, the couple's more grim suspicion really, you know, turned into a reality. Even though they weren't sure exactly what that suspicion was, but it was leading more towards that someone had been killed. Ray and Marie at this point are even more freaked out and they kind of scurry the fuck out of there to find the nearest phone. The courage of them, I swear, like, like I said, they're pretty brave. I wouldn't necessarily go back and do all that, but it's the night, it's 1990, it's a different time. I guess, yeah. Also, um, sometimes being brave isn't the smartest option. Yeah, being brave can fucking kill you. Yeah, I'm like, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm very glad that y'all went to check. But, but it doesn't happen you, in this case. So I guess it's... A, if that were Jeepers Creepers, it would have gotten you killed. Yeah, true. If this if this is the movie plot we're talking about, they're dead. Yeah. Because that's what happened in the movie. Besides just Spoiler but. alert. You've had a really long time to see it. I know. I I know I'm the one saying it because I just started Game of Thrones, but like, it's been a while. Well, in the new one, it's not an addition to the franchise. It's a redo of like a like of the first one, kind of like it's a new branch of the. Yeah. Nice. I'm gonna have to go check it out. Yeah. Jeepers Creepers! If you wanna give us some tickets. Yeah. Please. I'll go see it alone. Ray and Marie would stop at the first farm that they saw to knock on the door and ask to borrow their phone. But as you can imagine, um, it wasn't just like, knock, knock, hello, can we borrow your phone? <laughs> like frantic, probably. Yeah, Ray <laughs> said that the people whose farm it was wouldn't even let them in their house to make the phone call because of how crazy they were acting, basically. Um, they were frantic. They were hopped up on adrenaline, probably. <laughs> they were trying to explain to these people what happened. You know, like, this guy had a white bloody sheet and we think someone was murdered, blah, blah, blah. And basically just trying to explain what happened and why they wanted to call the police. Yeah. To these people, Ray and Marie seemed kind of off the rails. Yeah. The people who lived at the farm did call the police on behalf of Ray and Marie as they waited outside, and they kind of relayed their message to the police from what they gathered. (laughs) And also at this point, Ray and Marie realized the possible danger that they themselves were in or could be in. They didn't know that the man with the van could just reappear at any moment. Yeah. Yeah. They were they were really afraid that they were going to be, like, targeted. <clears throat> Very, like, oh, that's fucking terrifying. That's why, yeah, go make the police do it. That's what they get paid to do. Yeah. A police officer showed up to the farm, and after speaking with Ray and Marie for a bit, the officer follows them to the schoolhouse. Mm-hmm. They showed the officer what they found. It was still there. The officer would radio in the situation, and they took a statement from Ray and Marie and then released them. Hmm. They were told that they would be contacted if, you know, like, they needed any more info or whatever. 
Honestly, honestly, if Marie and, sorry, what was the husband's Ray. name? Ray. Ray um, <laughs> were to come up to my house and be like, oh my god, we just potentially found this murder scene. I'd be like, okay, murderers, you're the one that did it and prime suspect number one in my book. No, I would have done the same thing um, unless it's like a child. I wouldn't let somebody frantic or, you know, because like people of victims of random crimes like can show up on a random person's doorstep like bloodied and and asking to use a phone and most of the times the person really needs help but a lot of times it could something else and a lot of times people that report the murders are the ones who committed them themselves like they'll find the body so even the police i'd be like okay sure you saw a brown van with some disposing of this body that you like just Uh, so happened to be showing me i was just gonna say if i was the people who lived at the farm i would have done the same thing i would have been like we'll call them for you yeah but you're not coming in my house (laughs) like you're like Give them, like, a bowl of water, like, through the door. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Throw them a cracker here. (laughs) So Ray and Marie get released, and they head back home. At some point that same day, um, you know, probably a little later in the day, Branch County Police, which is the county that they're in in Coldwater, would receive a call from one of the teenage Depew daughters who tells them that her father had just assaulted her mother and pushed her down the stairs after he had hit her. Damn. Good for that daughter. She would also say that her father carried her mother back up the stairs. Her mother seemed really dazed and didn't seem to know what was going on. She shared how her father then put her mother into his van saying how he'd be back after he took her to the hospital. But some time had passed, and the girl's father hadn't returned yet, a.k.a. Dennis. So the authorities, uh, they're like, okay. So they go to the local hospital to check on Marilyn Depew, but she wasn't there. In fact, she never had been that day, at least. Dennis wouldn't return home at all. The next morning, on April 16, 1990, the driver of a Branch County Road Commission truck, uh, which is, I think they're like utility or road workers, um, he comes across a body laying near a tree out on Butcher Road, north of Central Road. The man immediately calls police. They come out, and they were pretty quickly able to identify the body as being that of Marilyn Depew. The cause of death was a single gunshot wound to the head. Damn. She was murdered by her husband. It was pretty obvious at this point because um, I didn't get details on what happened overnight, you know, like Dennis not coming home, whatever. But they, like, knew it was him. 
It appeared that Dennis shot Marilyn in his van, disposed of her body, not very well, mind you, and then disposed of the bloody sheet he used to wipe up the blood in his van at the schoolhouse somewhere Mm. in a different location. After finding Marilyn's body, authorities became immediately concerned for the Depew children and for their safety because they're now orphans. They know that Dennis hadn't come home, their mother's now dead, and police, um, I think they went to the Depew home to kind of raid it to look for Dennis, but he wasn't there, but the children were there safely. Mm-hmm. And um, so they were able to, like, get them taken care of. Okay. But where is Dennis? Authorities find out that Dennis had already told his job and made arrangements for him not coming in to work that next week after Easter weekend. He also withdrew several thousand dollars from his bank account. They knew he had a gun because he had shot his wife or ex-wife. And from Ray and Marie's, like, witness accounts, Dennis had a spare license plate prepared on his body, on his person. So all of this gave off the premeditation vibes for sure because he would have had to give notice to his job, withdraw money, all of that before Easter weekend. That's a holiday weekend You know, like, you have to prepare for that kind of thing. Because of the location where Ray and Marie had seen Dennis, authorities assumed he was heading south um, because that was the way he was going. And this meant he was most likely crossing the border into Indiana or at least heading out of state some way. Yeah. Because of this, the FBI was enlisted by the local authorities to help. And so all the information they had on Dennis and the crime that was committed and any information on his vehicle was given to various state agencies and authorities. But unfortunately, the only license plate number they had was the one of the Michigan plate that Ray and Maria had noted down before Dennis had swapped it out. They didn't know the license plate number of that Illinois plate. Yeah. They so, just knew it was that. Yeah. Because of this, Dennis was able to avoid being captured by authorities for a while. Damn. Around two weeks later, Dr. Stan Bushhouse, who was the principal at the um, high school, the Coldwater High School where Marilyn worked, as well as the high school government teacher, received a large envelope in the mail. The envelopes didn't have a return name or address, but they were postmarked in Arlington, Virginia. Hmm. In Dr. Stan's envelope, at least, I'm not sure about the history teacher's there was a two- to three-page handwritten letter from Dennis DePew. It was written on, like, legal pad paper that had been, you know, ripped off. And the letter was explaining how 
principal, Stan, and the English teacher, as well as others in the community, were at fault for the trouble in in Dennis's and Marilyn's marriage and at fault for the divorce as well, you know, at thus at fault for Marilyn's death. So he just blamed the whole fucking town on his problems instead of looking exactly. at the his letters, own actions. Yeah, the letters were in third person. Oh they were God. threatening. And at nowhere in the letters was Marilyn's murder acknowledged. Just the fact that she was, like, gone or dead. Wow. Stan calls the sheriff's office, obviously, um, or, you know, and authorities warn Stan that, as well as the other teacher, that because they got these letters, to be cautious that this could mean Dennis has it out for them. They don't know what he's capable of. He already murdered one person, and they still don't know where he is. Yeah. Aside from teachers and people at the school, additional letters were sent to the newspaper company, the judge who had handled the Depew divorce, and others in the community. This dude is off his rocker. Letters kept coming for a while to people in the community, <clears throat> and those of who those of who Dennis felt were at fault for basically everything that he did. He wanted others to bear the blame instead of himself. Mm. The letters that were being sent were postmarked from various states, such as Oklahoma, Iowa, and Virginia, as well as a few others, I believe. This meant Dennis was clearly on the run. He was actively traveling And authorities would do their best to try and track him down by the location of the postmarks, you know, but it was pretty hard to do and they didn't really have any luck before the letters would actually stop coming. Authorities in Michigan and, you know, Branch County specifically pretty much hit a dead end. Dennis DePew was seemingly gone. Nine months later, in the Dallas, Texas area. No, why is it always Texas? Dennis reinvented himself and created a new life under the name of Hank Queen. He ended up finding or meeting a woman named Linda Blizzard, and they ended up forming a serious relationship. Serious enough that Hank would soon move in with Linda. And at first, things seemed really good. Obviously, otherwise, he wouldn't have moved in with her. But Linda became suspicious of Hank pretty, pretty quick. Yeah. Hank wasn't very outgoing, and he didn't do a whole lot of talking, especially about him or his past or personal stuff. He apparently grew more quiet and suspicious compared to when they first met, which I guess is what created or fed the suspicion for Linda. Mm -hmm. Linda had, because of this, hired a private investigator to look (laughs) into Hank. Of course, this is um, 
1990, 1991 by this point, uh, probably, yeah. And we still don't have Google, the internet, and so you can't just Facebook stalk one. You can't just it's a lot Google harder to name. So it's you a have lot to easier hire, to hide things. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so you have to you have to hire a whole ass PI. Hank or Dennis still had his brown van, which he mm. kept parked in Linda's garage, out of sight. So Linda gave her PI the license plate number on his van. But at this point, we can assume it was a whole new one to the Illinois one that he had replaced the Michigan one with. The PI finds nothing on Hank Queen, which some could be like, oh, that's great, good. But then... If you're kind of also smart, you'll be like, okay, that's weird, because you'd at least find something. Yeah. Even if it's not bad, you'd find, like, a parking ticket or, like, a something. Authorities back in Michigan knew that if they were going to catch Dennis DePew, they needed national publicity, because they knew he was on the run across several states. So, they contact a national TV show that some of us may find familiar and ask them to profile the Depew case on their show. Unsolved Mysteries ran a story on the Depew case in March of 1991. Damn. Not only was the Depew case profiled, but a dramatic reenactment was shown as well. We all know how Unsolved, case, or Unsolved <laughs> Mysteries does it. Mm-hmm. Dennis's van, like an actual photo or actual footage of his van was shown on the show as well as his face. The night that the Unsolved Mysteries episode aired, Linda was out running errands like grocery shopping or something and Hank was at home and he had watched the episode. He immediately knew that he needed to get the fuck out of there (laughs) because he had, like, settled down a little bit at that point. So Mm -hmm. he and Linda had friends. He he knew more people than he would have been if he was just, like, on the run. And so anyone who saw that show and anyone who knew, quote, Hank Queen would know that Hank is not actually Hank. So he knew that if he saw this episode on TV, that it's very likely that others saw it as well. So Hank, a.k.a. Dennis, starts scrambling around, packing a bag to leave Linda's house. When suddenly, Linda comes home from running errands. He comes up with an excuse to tell Linda for why he's packing a bag and why he's in a rush to leave. Uh, The way the show I watched made it seem was that he told her that his mom was sick and that he needed to, like, drive to her right now, tonight. And she seemed to buy it and was really understanding. Again, in the reenactment, she's like, let me pack you some sandwiches for the road. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if she actually did that, but... So Dennis packs up his brown van, you know, 
and um, his sandwiches. And he stole Hank in Linda's eyes. Mm-hmm. But he packs up his brown van with basically all of his belongings and says, bye-bye, Linda. I mean, she even sent him off. She asked him, will, will there be a phone number I can contact you at, you know? And he was just like, oh, like, no, I'm not sure. I'll call you, you know, once I'm there. Like, I'll call you in a few God, days. it was so easy to get away with yeah, shit back in the day. Fucking landlines. And even I then, kinda, it's like. Part of me wishes, like, it was kind of like that. But then, like, yeah, having a cell phone is nice. It's a little too nice. Yeah, I'm just like, so part of me wants to go incognito. There is the craziest app. I'm so sorry. Craziest app that if you take a photo out on the streets, you put it in this app and it will find the CCTV footage of you taking that photo while you're on that fucking street. And everyone's like, oh, how cool. I'm like, no one is fucking worried about this. They're watching our every goddamn move. I'm not okay. I want to go back to the days where it was incognito and, you know, oh. Yeah, that's Don't sketchy. look at me. Don't look at me without my permission. Sometime shortly after Hank leaves, um, the way the show I watched made it seem was that maybe, you know, friends had been trying to call Linda during the moment when Hank or Dennis was trying to leave. And then so when she wasn't answering the phone, One of Linda's friends comes over to be like, Linda, girl, your man is all over the TV. And she explains the situation to Linda because she didn't see the Unsolved Mysteries episode. So um, Linda connects the dots on obviously how Hank had just left and realizes how basically she could have just been killed because yeah she's so lucky that he just decided not to yeah because he he still had a gun he's he Mm. could have easily just taken another victim he had already killed one person before um so she everything got put into perspective for her and so linda calls the number that was provided on unsolved mysteries like the Mm -hmm. hotline tip line or whatever and this was with the help of her friend of course and so she gives the tip line or whatever the license plate number of dennis's van that she had given her pi So the police would issue an alert over six different states for Dennis DePew. And Dennis made it all the way to Louisiana, which from Dallas, it doesn't seem that far. But I mean, it's a a decent distance. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure how far in Louisiana he made it. But he made it to Louisiana before a state trooper clocked the van for speeding with their radar. Damn. Out of all the fucking things. I know. And, you know, in the show, they're like, usually when someone, like, is on the run, they know they've done something bad, they kind of, like, try and play it safe by not breaking any more laws, but... Nah, people are dumb. The state trooper starts to follow the van to pull it over for speeding, And when he gets close enough, the officer radios or calls in the license plate number, which is when he is notified about the alert that is out for that vehicle. 
and that the person driving it is wanted for murder. Dennis had eluded capture for almost a year now, and he wasn't about to go down this easy. So he hits the gas, and Mm. a high-speed chase ensued. The chase lasted through Louisiana to Mississippi. Damn. A roadblock was set up at one point ahead of Dennis, and he ran right through it. So another roadblock was called in and set up even further down, and he runs right through that. Damn. A third roadblock was set up closer to Mississippi, and at this roadblock, officers were able to shoot out um, two of Dennis's back tires, which caused him to go no further, basically. Mm. Dennis was surrounded by several armed lawmen from two different states, and he had no way out at this point. Two officers would begin to approach Dennis's van when they would hear a gunshot. So police officers would open and return fire, filling the van with bullets. The back of the van was filled with a bunch of junk and just his belongings and so that kind of stopped any of the bullets from hitting Dennis Mm -hmm. instead Dennis was found in the driver's seat with a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head yeah that seems honestly really fucking silly to me that your response then is to just hail the car with bullets yeah well they thought they were getting shot at I even I don't know I guess yeah but silly yeah no i get yeah i get it it's like okay and even then none of your bullets hit him (laughs) yeah it's just i mean i feel like i don't know yeah mm, i'm no comment okay (laughs) the search for dennis depew was over but instead of ending with judgment by trial and getting justice for his ex-wife dennis took the judgment upon himself The Depew children were taken in by their grandparents and moved away from Coldwater, of course, due to them being minors and along with the tragic events that took place, details about their removal from Coldwater and their lives thereafter aren't really known. And we should I just I hope we shouldn't that, blare it out. Yeah, of course. They like they, they need to start life. over. <laughs> yeah. I really hope they're doing well. So Yeah. Marilyn Lee McClinahan, before she became Marilyn Depew, was born in Detroit, Michigan in January 1941. She eventually moved to Coldwater for the jobs where she fit right in. Kids at the high school where she worked related to her and respected her as well as her coworkers. Although there are differences, and the Jeepers Creepers movie exceeds reality, Mm -hmm. this case does have similarities to at least the first Jeepers Creepers movie. And because the new Jeepers Creepers movie is coming out, like I said, I wanted to talk about this case. So I'll end on talking a little bit about the similarities that... um, would inspire, I guess. But 
They found Marilyn's body a few miles north of the school, which he would have dumped on the way to the abandoned school, which was apparently behind an old church. Mm. And in the Unsolved Mysteries episode for the reenactments and such, they actually used the abandoned schoolhouse in Michigan for that. Um, and just the, the fact of where Marilyn's body was found is important because of kind of the comparison to the Jeepers Creepers movie. Mm -hmm. Um, the Depew case was featured on Unsolved Mysteries a full 10 years before the Jeepers Creepers movie was made. And the segment, as I mentioned, figure featured a detailed reenactment in which they used the actual abandoned schoolhouse um and this reenactment apparently or the true events that unfolded resembles a strong similarity to the first half of the jeepers creepers movie which is a um, victor selva film in the movie you see siblings a brother and sister on a road trip when they see a strange man dumping a body at an abandoned church versus the schoolhouse but now we know there's a church involved like ray and marie thornton the brother and sister in the film are chased down by a brown creepy vehicle Victor Salva, the filmmaker behind Jeepers Creepers, has never admitted the influence from this case on Jeepers Creepers, and that's why I tried to say it's supposedly inspired by this case. But damn, there I are would just say so many similarities. Jeepers Creepers is the best reenactment of this case that I've seen so far. Well, it's just what's like- interesting is that instead. Victor Salva would say or cite Steven Spielberg's duel as one of his inspirations instead. Mm. Um, But this case has too many similarities. It was like word for word at some parts. Yeah, yeah. Um, So I'm, I love the Jeepers Creepers franchise and I'm very excited for this new movie to come out and... I'll probably have to wait for my husband to get back from deployment to watch it. But I also want to tell him, like, you know what? I'm just going to go watch it by myself. Yeah. Get over it. It's important. It's not important. But um, anyway, so that was the murder of Marilyn Depew and the supposed inspiration for Jeepers Creepers. Damn. Rest in peace, Marilyn. But thank you, Sarah. That was I had never heard of that case before. And I did not know that Jeepers Creepers was inspired by true events. Like supposedly, literally, supposedly, <laughs> it's like it is. That's fucking wild. Blows my mind, and I really, I think tonight I'm gonna watch Jeepers Creepers. Yeah, it terrified me as a child. Well, that was just like such a blast from the past. And now they're making a new one. I know. I'm Please so sponsor. excited. I've been waiting for this new Jeepers Creepers for like a year and a half. I feel like you have been talking about this for a while. Because so. the uh, release date got pushed back a few times. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, if you have any other crazy cases like that up your sleeve, we are needing to hear them. 
So send us an email. Let us know if you want us to say your name. Yeah. Red Rum and Red Wine Podcast at gmail.com. And follow us for the photos that will be posted as well as, you know, other stuff. You got to follow to find out. R-A-R-W podcast. And until next time, guys. Bye.